Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 26 of the Matt and Matt O'Skill Trains podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rochford, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Matt Zasuha. Matt, uh, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Dude, I am doing just awesome. I, I, I don't think I've ever been this excited in my life. Awesome. Well, that's all right. Well, great. So, uh, well, I guess I'll kind of explain what we're doing tonight. So, tonight we are going to have an epic interview with uh, none other than O Scale Model Railroading YouTuber Eric Siegel from the Eric Trains YouTube channel. Eric, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? We are fantastic. Again, right we want to thank you for uh, we're taking the time out to to come on our uh, our humble podcast. Yeah, <laughs> really no problem, appreciate no it, buddy. It should be fun. All right. Well, Matt, do you have, uh, I should say Matt Z, make it easy. Matt Z, do you have anything before we get started? No, but I'm just saying I am really, really excited for this. I know I say it a lot for interviews, but this one, I I just cannot believe you're here. Uh, This is really a dream come true, buddy. (laughs) That's great. Really glad to be here. Really glad to be here. I I think I know Matt. Matt, Matt's been around for a long time. So uh, I, uh, if you're the Matt, you, you yeah, you're the Matt I'm talking, I'm thinking about, right? Thanks. So. Uh, it's been on, you've been around for a long time. I think you've been on, you've been watching my videos for a long time. If oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, I think we both cool. have. Yeah. I think yeah. I've, we've both been watching you for at least, I think I started watching you in like 2000, I don't know, 2011, 2012, maybe. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched the very first. I remember when you had it just on plywood, buddy. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Oh yeah. All right. Well, let's get uh, let's get banging with the questions here. So um, I'll start, and then I have a few questions for you, and then I'll pass it the mic over to uh, Matt Z. So uh, my first question, which is what I actually ask everybody, is when and who got you started in moderating? And you, actually, before I actually answer that, I just wanted to say that I know. Like a lot of these questions I ask, you might have stated before, like in your YouTube channel or on Facebook or something like that. Oh, yeah. So I do apologize, but there may be a listener in our, you know, in, in our audience that maybe did not catch that answer from you or you know, maybe just has not watched, you know, too many of your episodes. So I just want to treat this as like, you know, the first time you're maybe you're hearing the, the question. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, definitely. good. So again, I'll repeat that. So um, when and who got you started in model railroading? Oh boy. Um, so I, I got started, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit different than most, uh, a lot of model railroaders in that I, I'm more into the models than I am the actual real trains. I mean, I like the real trains a lot, but you know, I think a lot of people, get into the hobby because they love the real trains. And, and I, I sort of got into the hobby because of the hobby itself. Uh, I, when I was a kid, uh, when I was younger, I, my, uh, my father, he would tell us these stories about his great, this great Lionel train set that he had uh, when he was a kid in the, in the fifties. And, you know, he probably started telling me those stories when I was, four or five years old. I don't know, four or five years old. Uh, I had gotten an HO train set, but I, I had never seen any Lionel trains, but he was always telling me these stories about his Lionel train set. And then um, 
as I got older, you know, I got more, I was like, where is this train set? I want to see this. And he would just tell me these great stories about it and how he had this pretty fairly large setup for the, for the time. And, uh, but he never had time. We never really had time to get it. Uh, it was buried somewhere at his mother's house, my grandmother's house. And then, uh, so when I didn't really see it until eventually when they, my grandparents passed away, they, we were cleaning out their house and, uh, you know, while, while all the other family members were going after, you know, going after the expensive stuff and going through the house, looking at, you know, jewelry and furniture and whatnot, all I was, I was down in their basement rooting through all these boxes, trying to find this elusive train set. And I, I finally found it and, uh, it was, you know, a post-war set from late forties, early fifties. And, um, and I brought it home and, uh, started working on them and, and, getting them run, getting them running again because they were in pretty bad shape and uh and then that it just started from there and I and I you know so I I really liked the history of just the history of Lionel and the just the the stories I had heard as a kid of this great set and that's what sort of got me interested in it and then I when I finally got my hands on it then I was like wow this stuff is really cool and and then it blossomed from there and then you know and and also, I've always been a collector. You know, I, I like collecting things, and I, I think most, I think most train collectors usually have other collections too. And that's the same with me. And uh, and so, I've always enjoyed just you know, collecting things, seeing up, seeing how many of the, those things I can get. And so, that sort of fueled the, the, my interest in the hobby too. And uh, and then um, and that was it. And so I, I was hooked hooked at that hooked at that age. And and. Uh, did it all the way through high school. And then I, of course, you know, like most people, I stopped in college and uh, it took a backseat to, to girls and, and uh, other things. And then uh, when I got married again, when I was in my early, when I was about 30 years old, I got married and then I had a kid. And when my kid was younger, of course, you know, a four-year-old boy is going to be into trains. And, uh, and that sort of got me back into the hobby and, 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 uh, the rest was history and now we're where we are where we are now <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah I, I mean i was almost similar to that as well like you know i think you're right i think everybody kind of falls into that gap too where it's kind of like there was some kind of key moment or you know your grandfather set or your father set and it you really got hooked into it and it meant a lot to you because it was something that they enjoyed as well and that kind of like drew you to that specific uh hobby whatever the hobby is obviously but yeah i was all in the same lines and then i kind of stopped through high school and then um I just, but I always remember trains, right? That was always in the back of my mind. Like I'd see a train and, you know, I think about it in the back of my mind, like, man, that'd be cool to be like, maybe like just kind of having a model railroad again. So. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a lot of, you know, it's, it's so much fun. And I, I think when I was younger, one of the things that really fascinated me, because I was always into electronics and taking things apart and see how they worked. And, and one of the things that I loved about it was I got, um, when I got my dad's old set, I went out and bought a book because, you know, there was no internet. That was the early nineties. So there was really no internet yet. So I went and got a, got a book that it's a repair guide for Lionel trains. And uh, it was just fascinating look, looking through that guide and like most of the stuff in there he didn't have, but just looking at all these accessories and, and operating cars and seeing how they worked. And just, I was like, wow, I hope one day I can see this, Minuteman missile car, you know, or, or something like that. And, and just the way that they actually made those things work, especially, you know, in hindsight, you know, you think about today where 
everything's got microprocessors. And back then they, everything was made to work with, you know, solenoids and, and gears and, and, and levers and stuff like that. And it's pretty amazing the stuff they actually made work uh, without all the modern technology that we, that we kind of take for granted now. No, I, I, I agree with that. And I had, that was not another podcast that we had with somebody else about talking about how the, the play value back then was actually pretty fantastic. Like with just some like simple use of like magnets and uh, other just kind of like real simple techniques, like, you know, they, they brought, they could bring train sets alive. Yeah. And yeah. It was, it's really impressive. And then of course, you know, that was my, that was my sort of world of, of, of toy trains was sort of post-war style trains. And, and I, and I had bought some new, a few newer ones in the early nineties, but they were still, you know, basically the same conventional, they weren't digital yet really. And, uh, and when I got back into trains, when I, when, when I, when my son came along, you know, I thought, Oh wow, I forgot about those trains. And then I went to a train store and that was when I saw, uh, Proto sound two was out then from MTH. And I saw my first, digitally controlled engine with digital sounds uh, in a MTH dash nine, I think it was, which, which, which I still have. And it was, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe that model trains had come so far where now they had the, the sounds of the real thing and the, the smoke and the, and everything, you know, looked so much more looked and looked and sounded so much more realistic. It was, it just blew my mind. And then that just got me even more hooked into the hobby. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then, of course, later on came I, I you know, I saw Lionel, TMCC, and then Legacy, and all that, all that incredible stuff that has come with it. So it's been a lot of fun. So you've had your YouTube channel for obviously over ten years here. What was your, um, what, what, what made you decide to start a train-related channel? Like, what was your motivation behind that? Oh gosh, um, it it has changed over the years. Um, when when I first started, it was, I think the channel, I think I officially started the channel in 2006 or 2007. I think 2007 is the official anniversary. And then, and I honestly, I was just having fun, just uploading some videos of my trains in action on my, on my then very new, very unfinished layout. And uh, like, like Matt said, it was, it was just plywood at that point. But you know, there's the digital, trains and the new O scale trains were just so incredible looking. And I just, I just wanted to share it and put it up there on YouTube. And I had no plans whatsoever for, for quite a while. Um, and you know, it, it didn't really pick up steam until I think it was around 2009 or so. I, I forget the actual date, but um, I, I started doing some tutorial videos and some, product review videos, you know, and I was sort of getting more into it. And then the, probably the big turning point for the channel was when Lionel brought out the, the vision line GE evolution hybrid. And I think that was in 2009, if I'm not mistaken, 2009, 10. I think so. Yeah. And, uh, and I, originally I didn't get, I didn't order that locomotive. I've, cause you know, I, I saw it in the catalog and I think my reaction was the same as a lot of people's. I, I saw it was a diesel for $900. And I was like, I was like, that's insane. I was like, who would ever pay $900 for a diesel? You know? <laughs> and, and, and so I was like, there's no way I, 
I, I don't see it, you know? And, and so I sort of passed on it. And then I, after it was delivered, I started hearing, you know, murmurs throughout the hobby that were like, you need to check out this evolution hybrid diesel. It's pretty special. And, and so I finally uh, got one and was just blown away by it. I mean, it was just, I mean, the catalog didn't do it justice. It, you know, I, I, as I'm sure, you know, and a lot of people have seen it know, I mean, it was just, yeah. it was a revolution in the hobby. I mean, it's one of the finest O scale diesels certainly ever made. And, uh, and I was just blown away by it. And so I did a review on it. And I, I think at that time when I did the review, a lot of other, a lot of people didn't really know about it. I mean, they knew, or if they knew about it, they hadn't really seen it in action. It was, it was one of those things where it was expensive and people, I don't think a lot of people really understood what it was all about yet. And, and when I, I did the review, which when I go back and watch that review now, it's pretty painful to watch, but uh, I, I did that review video and that was really the turning port for the channel where I, it started getting a lot of views and a lot of people started subscribing and, and it sort of put the channel on the map, I guess you could say, um, and brought uh, brought that locomotive to a lot of people's attention. And not only that, but it also, I, I think, I'm pretty sure it brought some peop people into the hobby too, because I got so many messages from, you know, older, uh, older people that had been out of the hobby for a while who said, you know, they said, I can't believe Lionel is making stuff like this. I mean, I just can't believe it. And they, and, and I, and I pretty certain that locomotive single-handedly brought people into the hobby again, or brought new hobbyists into the hobby because it was so such a revolutionary uh, model from Lionel. It was really quite impressive. And so, yeah, uh, the, uh, the evolution hybrid was really responsible for putting my channel on the map. And after that, that was when I was like, well, I guess I should take this more seriously and start doing some regular product reviews and stuff like that. And, 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 and it's just kind of uh, snowballed from there. Yeah, it was uh, it was the diecast engine too, right? So yeah, it was. It was yeah. all diecast metal. And the thing is, uh, I actually just wrote an article about those the uh, the GE and the Canadian Pacific uh, uh, diecast metal hybrids. I just wrote an article about those in OGR magazine. And one of the things I was saying was that you know I was talking about how collectible they are and how they've gone up in value. I mean, I've seen those things selling for. $3,500 on eBay. And it's insane. I, I would never pay $3,500. No, yeah, I've seen them selling for that much. Usually they sell for about fourteen, fifteen hundred or so, but I've seen them go for way, way higher. And, and I was, one of the things I said in the article, as I said, you know, I think one of the things that's going to keep these things collectible is that I, from what I understand, Lionel is no longer capable of, of producing them. Because when they went to the plastic-bodied ES44s a few years later, they modified the tooling that they had used for the diecast to to do plastic, and it was it's an irreversible modification. So they can't go back and do the diecast ES44s again without creating all new tooling, which they're probably not right. going to do. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, I think they're going to stay collect stay. I think they're going to hold their value for a while just because of the fact that they really can't be made again, at least not easily. That's that's they're, too bad because awesome. I, that's too bad because I I really like uh, diecast. I have one diecast diesel. I have the uh, the Santa Fe gen set. The Santa Fe. Oh, you have the Santa Fe gen set. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's on my that's on my wish list. One of these days, mine, I like mine to too, buddy. Mine too. 
That's a beautiful ever. <laughs> that's a beautiful model. Yeah, it's it's too bad. I mean, you know, they they moved to the gen set to plastic too. And, yeah, I, yeah, and I get it. It makes them more affordable. It makes them easy to manuf- easier to manufacture. So I get it. But like, you really you really lose something because those diecast diesels. I mean, you pick one of those things up, and it's just it's so reassuringly heavy. You're just like, wow, this thing is. Yeah. This thing is a monster, and it and it increases the pulling power too. I think those things think when I tested them, I think they pulled three or four pounds. Yeah, and they, and they only have one motor because the the front they couldn't fit it because it's a fully detailed cab. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they uh, the the hybrid and the gen set they both have great pulling power and and uh, and they just feel so nice in the hand when you pick them up. I mean, that's a big thing for me is when you take a model out, how does it feel in the hand? And absolutely. Uh, and you really miss something with those diecast models, but you know, I guess, I guess, I, I everyone they have their reasons for doing it, and and people, you know, people, uh, the prices are high enough already, and so I, I can understand Lionel wanting to try to keep them as affordable as possible. Although, I think if they did a limited run of diecast ones again, I'm sure they would sell out because they're just they're just so fantastic. Hundred percent. Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> All right, so uh, what? So my next question is either a uh, uh, people love this question or they hate this question, uh, and uh, it's basically what is your favorite railroad and why? It's a very very oh, open gosh. question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean anybody who said who's watched my channel, they, I mean they know that I'm just I'll get any road name I can. I mean I think my goal is to eventually have every single road name represented in, in some form. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But, uh, <laughs> I do yeah, have my cool. favorites, you know, like I think I mean probably my all-time it's hard to say probably my all-time favorite is going to be either UP or Santa Fe. And it just goes back to those original post-war models with the you know the first Lionel post-war diesel that I had was the uh, was my dad's Union Pacific 2023 set from 1950. Okay. And, and, you know, and that just burned into my brain that just that beautiful UP gray and yellow. And, and even though I didn't have a Santa Fe, uh, super chief, but what the Santa Fe F3, I didn't ever have one. I have one now, but I didn't have one then. But even though, you know, I saw pictures of it and just that Santa Fe war bonnet, paint scheme, you know, was just so cool. And, and I think, yeah, if I had to pick two favorite road names, it would probably be UP or Santa Fe just because they, uh, and probably UP because I mean, the cool thing about union Pacific is that, you know, they pretty much made at least one of every locomotive ever invented. <laughs> Absolutely. They, yeah, they did. Yeah. So you could do, you could yep. just model UP and have a gigantic collection because they've done everything. Uh, and, and that's something I, re- I think is so cool. And of course, you know, it's, it's so awesome what they're doing now, you know, with 4014, uh, you know, getting that thing running again and, uh, all the fanfare that's, that's created and everything. I, I hope they, I wonder, I hope they can bring the 4014 East more East. That'd be great if they could bring it to Georgia. I don't know if they can, but it'd be cool if they could. That, that would be great. Just even just from a, a you know, from a fan perspective of yeah. uh, it, it, it also drives people like, you know, people that, uh, so it came through my town. It came actually right through my town. 
Like oh, it's wow. kind of great. Came I live in uh, suburbs of Chicago, and it came down, and like there were people there that I could tell, like you know, you know, they weren't trained people, but they they were there. They were their parents. They had their kids. There are people on top of buildings, like, and people were just love the thing coming. Oh, yeah, down it's the, like a rock concert or something. Yeah, and I just that made me feel really good. It's like, uh, you know, just like this is cool. Like people, people do love trains. Like it's just, it's you know, it's just one of those things that draw people. You know, it's just, here's this gigantic, you know, one of the largest steam engines ever made coming down the middle of a of a of a suburb town of Chicago, and people are just like, what in the world? Like this is just unreal. Yeah, it's 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 really special. I mean, and you even see, you know, you watch videos and you see the engineers, you know, signing autographs and taking pictures of people. Yep. I mean, it's like they're celebrities just for driving the thing. Yep. It's 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 great to see and it really it really does it's a good thing for the hobby, you know, and good thing for just everybody and, you know, families and everybody in general just to see something. And, you know, it's a good thing for teaching kids history too because it's just Yep, absolutely. It's, it's living history, so uh, it's it's Definitely. it's quite amazing. I I haven't seen it yet. I would like to get to see it if I, you know, if I can go on a road trip and catch it. I would I would love to do that. And like I said, if they could find some way of bringing it further east, that would be really cool. I mean, you know, you, you know, people would love it. They'd get crowds yeah. here too if they could bring it uh, on an East Coast tour. That'd be I mean, it'd be fantastic. All right, uh, let's see here. Do you have a? holy grail engine or a piece of rolling stock that you're like you know that you're still looking for like i know you recently found that that really cool transformer uh that you had showed on your channel which was pretty actually pretty cool uh is there a, another and it doesn't have to be an engine or a rolling stock it could be anything train related is there anything that you're just like still looking for that you're like god I, if, I, if i see this i'm buying it yeah well yeah um, there always is um I'd have to think, you know, of all of them, but just, of, they, you know, there's kind of two categories. There's ones that I would like to get if I find them. And then there's a few that, that even if I found them, I probably wouldn't be able to get them because they're so expensive or I'd have to, it would be a serious investment to get it, you know? So um, I guess, well, we just mentioned one that Santa Fe gen set is one of those that I, that I would like to uh <laughs> I'd like to get at some point. <laughs> I have I have a saved search on eBay for it, and someone selling someone who's selling just an empty shell keeps turning up. They're selling an empty shell for fifty bucks or something, and I'm like, well, maybe I could get the shell and start from there. <laughs> I see the shell for that in the BNSF one too. Yeah, like all the time. And I wonder what yeah. happened. What happened to it to where someone's selling the shell? <laughs> I don't. I don't understand that either. I don't know if someone found a way to like maybe reproduce it, or if it's just like. I don't know. They found a whole bunch of them. They just stripped them off, off and just, you know, because it's a die cast shell, they just kept the yeah, shell. I don't, I don't know how, the, the, how someone is selling. It came across all these empty shells, but yeah, yeah. If I could find a, an intact working version of the Santa Fe gen set, I would definitely snatch that up. Um, there's the, probably the Holy grail that I would love to be able to get if I could afford it. And if I could find one, um, that's that's probably the, the more important part. Find one is uh, if I could get an, an original Lionel seven hundred E from I think it was nineteen thirty eight thirty nine. Okay, uh, yeah. you know they they, they did they did a vision a vision line model based on it, and they've done you know reproductions of the seven hundred E over the years, which are very nice. I mean, there's a I think there's a Century Club version that was put out in two thousand that's really nice. 
but the original 700e and if if i could get it with the passenger cars i mean that would just that would be something I, i've seen i saw a 700e passenger set a few years ago on ebay that was selling for fourteen thousand. Oh my yeah. word. I mean, so it's like you could have a car or you could have that set. <laughs> it's 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 pretty crazy. But uh finding a working example of a seven hundred E set is 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 pretty, pretty hard to do. And even like I said, even if I found one, I don't even I don't know if I could afford it or not. I'll just have to look at it, look at the picture of it. Um and there's probably a few others that I, you know, that I, I would like to add. Um that I, you know, one of the ones I, that I, I wanted to get was the original, was the, the first uh, Vision Line Santa Fe 21010 Um, uh, But Lionel is reissuing that. And so I'm going to be able to get a brand new one and I won't have to search around for one of the original ones. Um, gotcha. Because whenever, whenever you search around for one of those older ones, you know, you want to get it, but then you also want to get one that's working properly. And, and, and so... It's kind of this. It, it takes a long. It takes longer to find one because you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta find one, and then I gotta find one that's in good shape and one that's working. Yep. Whereas if Lionel reissues it, well, now I can get, now I can get it brand new, and it should, it should be working properly, and everything will be good. So, you mind if I ask you which, uh, which one did you get? So I ordered the model number was two one three one four seven zero, and it's the Santa Fe three thousand one, and I think I ordered that one because it is the same one that they released originally. Okay. Or at least it looks the same to me. And since I've always wanted one of the original 3000 ones from the, from the first release, that's why I ordered that one. Although they had some really attractive ones. They had, they had one with a, uh, a really cool, you know, colorful paint scheme. Uh, but I, I decided to get the 3000 one just because it was a little more. Yeah. They had the, they had the black bonnet, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Black Bonnet and Valley Flyer. Oh, yeah. Valley Flyer. That's right. Valley, I yeah, like that's that Valley Flyer. I like, kind of cool. like that one. <laughs> I kind of like that Lionel has, is doing that, you know, that they, they'll they do, you know, some prototypical paint schemes and then they'll do some fantasy paint schemes, which, you know, is, is nice, you know, because it's not, you know, it's, it's your railroad. That I mean, my policy has always been, it's your layout. And if you want to do, a fantasy paint scheme, you know, go for it. Who cares? You know, so I like that they do that, that they give you some prototypical paint schemes that are, you know, if you're more realistic oriented and then they give you the black bonnet and they give you the Valley flyer, uh, just in case you want to add a little, a little spice to your layout. I think that's great. Sweet. Well, yeah, that was definitely on the wish list, but now they've reissued it. And I, I would imagine they're probably going to reissue some more of the, early vision line engines unfortunately they can't reissue the the uh the s44 hybrid at least not in diecast not in the diecast version but right uh, they'll pro- i imagine they'll probably reissue the cc2 and the uh 700e again at some point in the next few years which would be nice I'd, i've always wanted to get one of the gunmetal gray 700es um and i've got a cc2 but it doesn't doesn't work too well so i'd, I'd like to get one that actually works well I bought again. I bought that one used. I bought. I I, I didn't get the original Pensy. I think it's. I think it's called the CC two. And yeah, they. I didn't get. I get. I didn't order one originally because, uh, I was being foolish. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so I had to get one after the fact. I bought one used from someone, and 
and it runs, but it doesn't run great. And so I would, I would like to, uh, if they reissued it, I'd, I'd definitely get one of those. So because we're a, uh, a podcast that, uh, you know, focuses on both the, uh, the new person, obviously to the hobby and, you know, the more kind of advanced veteran, uh, what advice would you give to someone, you know, starting out in, it doesn't even have to be O-Gage. It could just be just in general in model railroading. I guess my first advice would be, you know, well, I guess it would be twofold. It would probably be two things. Number one, you know, start small, you know, and number two, do a lot of reading and watching. You know, that's when you're going to, you're going to learn a lot and learn what you like and what you don't like. So I encourage people to not only watch YouTube videos, which is, you know, really important and really handy and really free, but also, you know, read, you know, subscribe to the magazines, uh, get back issues of some of the magazines, subscribe to magazines that aren't even in your scale. You know, I've, I've gotten a lot of ideas from HO magazines. So just, you know, soak up ideas, make yourself a sponge for ideas and, and, and just start small. You know, I, I think, you know, when you first get started in the hobby and you start watching videos, you might see a layout like mine or, or somebody else's and get a little, oh my gosh, how, how could I ever build that? And it's important to just start off small and, and, and go from there. Cause you can always, you can always expand later on. So just start off small, find out what you like, what you don't like, you know, build your skills and then go from there. And more importantly, if you start off small, it's, it's less expensive. So, uh, you know, start off with a nice starter set. And then if, if you're really into it, then, then you can pick up from there and, and get some more, uh, get some more elaborate stuff if you choose to do so. But you might find you don't want to do the scale stuff. You might find that you like the, uh, the smaller stuff, which is, which is just as, just as fun. So, you know, it's all about kind of just putting your toes in first, getting your feet wet and finding out what you like and, and going from there and then just soaking up all the knowledge that you can so you can, uh, you know, figure out what's what and, and know what you're doing eventually. Yeah, I think you hit on something pretty important, too, is is the, uh, you know, the video, the YouTube part of it where, you know, this can be a pretty complicated hobby and having access to that where somebody can just show you visually and through instructions, maybe how to fix something, how to wire something up. Like I didn't, you know, when I first came back to the hobby, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about command control. I was like, how do I hook this up? Like, wait, like, I, you know, the thing is like, I didn't want to blow anything up. Right. <laughs> so, right. That's, like, that's, that's the biggest fear. Like, well, this I'm plugging this thing into the wall. You know, there's a risk here. I hope something doesn't start on fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's always that sense of like, kind of like, you know, some electronic device. Am I, do I have the wires crossed? Are these wires hooked up right? So there's always kind of that and having access to, uh, you know, videos out there, uh, especially a lot of yours too. Like I used a lot of your videos to, um, I fixed a, a, a smoke unit that was whining with one of your, uh, you know, one of your oh, yeah. videos. Yeah. Um, and uh, a couple of ones too, just like, just not even stuff that I was planning on doing then, but maybe stuff that I had planned on. Well, you know, maybe I'll f- future proof myself a little bit, watch some more videos on how some of this stuff works and then I'm ready for it. Yeah. I, I mean the, you know, having YouTube at your disposal is a huge asset and it's, it makes it so much easier. I mean, when I was a kid in the early nineties, I mean, there was no internet. So the only way to learn was either to get books and magazines 
go hang out at a hobby shop and talk to people or go to a train show. And depending on whether or not your parents would take you there or pay for that kind of stuff, uh, you know, you, you had to deal with what you, what you, what you had available. So having YouTube at your fingertips nowadays, is just, it's a huge benefit for people getting into the hobby that they can really see what's out there. And, and, and I mean, there's a video for just about everything. <laughs> yeah. So it totally is. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so it's, and you're going to f- see videos with different ways of how to do things. And I, and I think that's one of the, the great things about, you know, getting, you know, doing research and soaking up knowledge is that you'll, you'll see different ways of doing things and eventually you'll find what works for you. You know, I'm, I'm always telling people, Hey, you know, just because I do it this way, doesn't mean you have to do it this way. You know, the reason I do it this way is because I watched somebody else and then I sort of, you know, modified what they were doing to suit my needs and my, what I thought looked good, but you don't have to do it that way. You can do it however way you want. It's, it's all, that's the great thing about, you know, the, this hobby and building a layout is it's totally in your control and it's totally up to you as to what you do and what you think looks good. And, you know, if you think, you know, if you think it looks good, then that's all that matters. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'll use the videos as a segue into my next question here. So uh, obviously you've been making a YouTube videos uh, for a pretty long time. Uh, do you still enjoy making the YouTube videos and, and being like a, an influencer in the community? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there. Yeah. It's there's, there's multi, there's several facets to it, you know? So there's, there's, you always have a balance. I found that most YouTube creators have to strike a balance between what they like to do versus what their viewers want them to do. And so you'll find that I found that other YouTube creators out there, not just in the model railroad hobby, but just YouTube in general, they, they tend to do a balance of, of they'll do videos that they know are going to be fan favorites. So for example, you know, for in, in terms of what I do, uh, I know product reviewers are going to be a fan favorite. I know people love to see product reviews. Um, and so, and so I make them and I enjoy making them. Uh, but you know, I mean, the, tr- the truth is that, you know, sometimes a product review is not the most exciting thing for me to do, but I know people are going to like it. And so that's why I do it. On the other hand, there are things that I love shooting a video for, and yet I know they're not going to be very popular, but I do it anyway, because I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And, and I found that, you know, I found that trend is pretty pretty common across YouTube creators where they have to have that balance. So for example, you know, a couple years ago, I, or maybe I think it was last year, I did a video where I installed a, a paint booth in my garage so that I could do my weathering for my trains. Yep. And, and it was a two part video. It was pretty long and I had an absolute ball making that video. I had so much fun making it. It was one of those things that just sort of reinvigorates you and just gets you excited about the hobby hobby again and stuff like that. And, and yet the video just, it didn't do very well at all. I mean, it didn't get very many views at all, which I knew would happen, but I did it anyway because it was sort of a passion thing for me. Um, so yeah, I found, you know, talking with, you know, I've, I've, I've got a lot of other YouTube creator friends that I talk to on a regular basis. And I found, like I said, that that's pretty common that you, that as when you're, you know, when you've got a, a pretty big audience and you've got that sort of pressure, if you will, to 
to keep putting out content that, you know, you, you, you tend to strike a balance of doing stuff that, you know, the fans will like and doing stuff that you will like. And, and that way, every, you know, it's win-win that way, you know, people get videos that they want and you get to do stuff that you want that keeps you excited. And, yeah. and so it's kind of win-win that way. And, uh, and that's the way I've been doing it for, for years now. And, 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 uh, and it, it's a nice balance. So I, it keeps me, keeps me interested in the hobby. I mean, if all I did was product reviews and don't get me wrong, I, I like doing product reviews there. It's fun to get a new engine and check it out. But if all I did was product reviews, I'd, I'd probably lose my mind after a while. Yeah, I, I'd probably get, I would get burned out. No, yeah, I, because I, I could definitely see that. Yeah. And so, you know, and it's not that I, that I don't find that the models fascinating and fun, but just, you know, the process of doing a product review, it, it takes time, you know, it's a little tedious. And, and so you have to take a break from that sometime. And so every now and then, you know, I, if, you know, people who have been subscribed to my channel for a while, they might notice there's a little gap in product reviews for a while and I'm just doing other videos. And a lot of times that's because I'm just taking a break from doing product reviews and just doing some, some stuff that I enjoy doing, you know, and, and stuff that, that gets me excited about the hobby. And then, and then I'll, and then, and then by doing that, that kind of, it's kind of helps me get excited to do a product review again. So like right now I'm doing a product review for the, uh, the Lionel Pensy S1. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it because I haven't done a, a, a really long product review in, in a couple months. And so, so I'm back in the saddle with the product review and I'm having a lot of fun doing it, especially with the S1 because it's a, it's a new, it's new, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a gorgeous model. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, really pumped up about making that video and, and uh, so that that'll be a, that'll be fun when that comes out because that that'll be a win win video because I I'm enjoying making it and I know people will enjoy watching it. So I I've seen some other videos on it and that that is a spectacular. Oh yeah. Uh, not 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 just visually but even uh, you know sounding the way it sounds and the whistle is just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean they did a fantastic job on it and I I got the Tuscan red one which is not you know not realistic but. Boy, is it! It is gorgeous. I mean, it's it's one of the most gorgeous O scale steam locomotives I've ever seen. I mean, it is truly spectacular. And so, so yeah, I'm having a lot of fun filming that, and uh, that should be out. That'll probably be out at the end of the week. Actually, it's almost done. So, uh, I, I I might make it a two parter because there's a uh, it's getting pretty long, uh, and I found that if you know, if you go over about 15, 20 minutes, people, you know, you start to lose your audience a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, you know, the stats say that. So uh, I'm, I may have to split it into two parts, but um, it's it's really, really a lot of fun. And there's so many cool engines coming down, you know, coming down this year. You know, when the, uh, the they got the Excel, the Acela coming uh, just off the top of my head and and uh, and then the new catalog. Oh, we, we can talk about the catalogs in a minute. But, yeah, there's. So yeah, back to what you were saying, you know, with the YouTube channels. So yeah, there's the balance of doing, you know, stuff that you're passionate about versus stuff that you know will be popular. So yeah, there's the whole balance thing of stuff I like versus what, you know, I know that the viewers are going to like. And then there's the whole influencer thing, which is kind of, uh, which is, is kind of, an, it's an interesting experience. Uh, it's, it can kind of go both ways. Sometimes it's a lot of fun. You know, it's really cool to be able to influence people and to have, you know, the ability to, you know, get new people into the hobby and, and, and excite people about the hobby and stuff like that. 
Uh, on the other hand, uh, you have to be careful about what you say when you're an influencer. And, and I've learned that the hard way a few times, you know, where I've, especially if I'm doing a live show and I'll just, I'll say something just off the cuff. And, you know, later on I'll hear, Oh, you know, you people were fired up about that, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's like, Oh gosh, I, di- I didn't, you know, I didn't mean it that way. I was just, you know, I was just, I was just running my mouth and just talking nonsense. But so you kind of have to, you know, I've, I've had to work hard to put in a filter and, and try to not say too much, you know, got not get too opinionated about stuff sometimes because, uh, you know, sometimes that can cause a little, <laughs> a little bit of an uproar depending on what you say. And I've, I've had that happen once or twice and, you know, it's no big deal, you know, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where it happens and you're like, Oh gosh, you know? And, and, uh, so I, I could probably give you a few examples, but I, I won't go there. But uh, <laughs> I, I think the one thing that I've noticed <laughs> is maybe like the number one thing is don't ever compare the big boy with anything else because, oh, yeah. Oh, oh people, yeah. Uh, people don't like that. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's kind of fun. I, I, you know, sometimes I just like to poke fun at, at uh, yeah. people a little bit. And so, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of funny because a lot of times, you know, people don't know that I'm, I'm joking. So I, I, I did an, uh, I did a review of an HO set last year, a Lionel HO set. And I made a comment during the video and it was a total joke. And I said, I said, you know, this is a great set, but the one thing I don't like about HO is that it's missing that prototypical third rail that we know all trains run on. And and afterwards, oh, like, I must have gotten a hundred comments from people saying, "What are you talking about? Trains don't run on three rails." <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was. I kind of, I, I, it was like, uh oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> at the same time, it's kind of, you know, I, I try not to, you know, I I try not to. I mean, one thing I try to impart to people, I, I hope, is that, you know, not to take it too seriously. It's all about fun. Yeah. It's all about, you know, unwinding and then having fun. And, and you know, I've the, what, what I always tell people is I've got enough stress in my life, you know, between bills and and taxes and, and my job, my day job and stuff like that. And, you know, when I when I go down to the train room and when I do a video on trains, I'm, I'm trying to have fun and. So I don't like to get bogged down in, in, you know, negativity or nitpicking stuff. You know, if, if it's a, if they make a mistake on a model, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's it's just a model, and and you know, just just relax and have a little fun with it. And so that's my take on it. I know that's not everybody's take on it, but um, that's what I try. That's what I try to do, and that's why for that reason, I'll sometimes I'll I'll, I'll poke fun at, at you know people that <laughs> might be taking it too seriously, like you know making a big boy joke or something like that. I mean, if you're not having fun in the hobby you're in, then maybe you should rethink about the hobby that you're in. Yeah. It always, it always, you always wonder that when you see these, you know, I'll, I'll see people and all they do is, is bash stuff, you know, Oh, you know, all they do is complain about what Lionel did wrong and this and that and this and that. And, and you're just like, you know, if you're having, if you're this upset about it, you know, maybe you should, take up gardening or something, you know, like, I mean, it's, it, you know, just, it's just fun, you know, and, and I get it. The models are expensive and I, and I get, you know, expecting a certain amount of, um, you know, realism or a certain level of, of dependability and reliability for the money that you're paying. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's all about fun. And, 
even when I've had engines show up that are dead on arrival, which has happened a couple of times, you know, I don't lose any sleep over it. You know, I just, I can say, okay, I'll, I'll get it fixed. And, uh, and we'll, and we'll move on from there. Cause you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not that big of a, it's in, in the grand scope of things. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been in the same scenario too. I've, I've, you know, I've had things come up out of the box and they just, they're something wrong, you know, yeah. from a technical perspective, or perhaps they just were just, you know, yeah. there's something wrong with them physically or something. And, uh, I've never had a problem having the, you know, the local hobby shop or even uh, some of the bigger internet shops uh, take care of me because they've, you know, they've always, they always do. So. Yeah. If you buy from a good train dealer, they'll take care of you. And also, you know, you know, one thing I try to communicate to people is that, um, you know, the, the people who are making these trains, you know, I think a lot of times people, you know, they're like, oh, gosh, Lionel made all these mistakes and how could they do this? And or MTH did this or that, you know, whatever. And it's, you know, what I try to tell people is, is you know, I know a lot of the, the people that work at these companies. Um, you know, I, I would consider myself friends with a lot of them. And one thing I can tell you about every single one of those people that work at Lionel and MTH and other places is that they love making trains and they, they tried they're trying to make the best product they can. And they're really, and mistakes happen, you know, and, and the problem is, is that, you know, they don't have the budget of like Apple or Amazon or something. And so they're, they're trying to do the, the best with the resources they have. And sometimes, you know, stuff's going to break and, you know, and they'll, you know, they'll react to it. And usually they'll, they'll say, okay, we'll fix it, you know, send it in and we'll fix it. It's not a big, you know, not a big deal, but you know, it's, it's important to remember that, that the people making these, that, that are designing these, they're, they're having fun making them and they're, they're honest, they're good people. And they're really trying to make a high, a high quality product, trying to make the best product they can with the available resources that they have. And, um, and I think, you know, all things considered, I think they do a pretty good job um, considering that they're not, you know, considering it's a, you know, it's a, it's a niche, niche hobby. You know, even yeah. within, you know, model railroading, you know, HO is the biggest and, you know, O is, is a smaller segment. And so, you know, it's not like they're selling, you know, when they make these engines, it's not like they're selling 10 million of them, you know. Yep. Uh, the, the, the profit margins are, are, you know, are not huge. Um, and, you know, people say, oh, you know, they're expensive. And I guess we can have a separate conversation about prices and everything. But I guess the bottom line is that, you know, they, they're good people trying to make a good product and, and, you know, mistakes are going to happen and you just have to roll with it and and not worry too much about it and just just try to have fun with it because that's what it's all about. It's having fun. Yep, I agree. So I have one more. Just it's a real simple, quick question. I'll pass the mic over to uh, to Maddie Z uh, and he can ask his questions and then we'll, um, you know, then we'll maybe we'll cover the catalog and stuff like that. And maybe we'll yeah. go into the pricing and stuff like that. All right. So. Uh, just real simple question. Uh, I know you've set up or installed some webcams uh, around your layout. Uh, how well how well have those worked for you? Um, I think they've worked okay. I mean, I don't I don't think a ton of people watch them. I don't think a ton of people know about them, but um, I do have them. There's there's currently four webcams on the layout. There's there's two in the main room. There's one in the Carolina room, and there's one in the Colorado room. Uh, I don't have one in the hallway room because that's sort of my, my private 
hall, my, my private room. If I have to, if I have to go scratch my butt or something, that's where I go right in the hallway room. So I'm not doing it. Gotcha. I was trying to find, I was trying to think of a, a polite way to say that, but you know, it's just, it's a place off camera where if I need to, uh, you know, fix my nose or, or scratch my butt, I can go in there. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're already opening, you're opening yourself up, obviously with the rest of the rooms. It's kind of like, you know, you gotta yeah, have yeah. So a like place down there. Where you yeah, can... so it's a little sanctuary where I know that <laughs> exactly. there's, there's nobody watching. And, uh, and then, so the, um, the cameras, they're not on 24 seven. They're on, uh, on the weekdays, they're, they're on from 6 PM to 2 AM. And then on the weekends, they're on from noon to 2 AM. And I did 2 a.m. because a lot of times, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do, I'll be doing some late night work. And so it's, I, f- I figured people might like watching that. Gotcha. Um, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've never, I don't know how robust they are. I mean, they're, they're webcams that are, they're through Nest. Uh, so they're not, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know if they're really designed for thousands of people watching them, although, you know, they, they do have a, I mean, they do allow you to make them public. So obviously they know people are going to, are going to be watching them. So, um, so far they've worked okay. So, you know, every now and then I'll get an email from somebody that'll say, Hey, the, this camera is not working and I'll have to check it out. But so far it's been pretty good. And I know some people who watch them, but honestly, but they, they don't give you stats. I don't have any way of knowing how many people are watching at gotcha. any moment. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll upgrade to some webcams where I can see stats. Um, but you know, that's, it's not a high priority right now because they, they work and, you know, that just, it gives people a little opportunity to drop in and see what's going on. The funny thing about them is that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't hear it so much anymore, but when I first started doing them, um, I had to put a disclaimer on the, on the webcam page on my site, because when I first started doing them, I get, you know, messages from people that were, that were, uh, some of them were a little bit irate, you know, they'd be like, I've been, I, I, tur- I watched your webcam and there was nothing going on, you know? And, and so I, I had to put a little disclaimer on the site that says, look, this it's not a guaranteed show. Right. You know, um, sometimes I'm going to be in the layout. Sometimes I'm not, sometimes I'm on vacation and I'm not there for a week. You know, it just, it just depends. And uh, so there's no guarantee that when you tune in, you're going to see something exciting. You will see the layout. I can guarantee that. <laughs> But other than that, you know, uh, whether or not I'm down there doing something or down there running trains, just it just hit or miss. It just depends on the day and, and what I'm doing. Yeah, it's it's not like it's the Truman Show, right? Going on where it's like, yeah, it's like you're yeah. Home. And it was it was kind of <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny getting messages from. And I'm telling you, there were a couple of people that were actually irate about it, you know. And it was like, <laughs> so it's kind of like the whole no good no good deed goes unpunished, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I set up these webcams just to, you know, just to have something cool. And now I'm getting beat up over it because I'm not down there 24 <laughs> <laughs> uh, seven. Great. Um, all right. So I will, um, I will pass the mic over to uh, Matt Z. I, and uh, I'm sure he's got some questions for you as well. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm on your feed, your webcam feed. You're doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. There's, I can guarantee there's nothing going on there right now. Yes, absolutely not. Okay, let's get rid of that. Anyway, um, yeah, so I did have a couple questions for you, and they mainly kind of involve your collection. And I'm not going to ask you the age-old question, what's your favorite train? We're not going there. Um, however, uh, one of the questions I did have for you was uh, more so on your collection of 
old school pre-war, post-war, and standard gauge items. Uh, we'll start with the pre and post-war first. What kind of got you into those items? Uh, the pre-war, uh, obviously, I, I didn't grow up with it. Um, I wasn't exposed to pre-war trains until really until I was an adult until probably around 2005, 2006, once I got back into the hobby. And um, I, gosh, I I can't remember exactly where I got to do it. It was probably from a video, probably from a DVD, you know, like I've got a whole library of train DVDs and a lot of them are made by, you know, TM books and videos and a lot of them are made by OGR. And I think that was probably the catalyst. I probably saw them in a video and thought, wow, you know, that's, that's neat. And then I read about them and, and really started to gravitate towards those. And I absolutely love my, the, the pre-war tin plate stuff, you know, and I've, like I've said in a lot of my videos where I reviewed the tin plate stuff, I, I like it because it's the exact opposite of the main stuff that I do. You know, it's, it's not realistic at all. It's like a, they're, they're like a caricature of a train and, they're, I mean, in my mind, they're works of art. I mean, you've got that stamp metal that's with that shiny enamel, you know, and the nickel and the brass. I mean, they're just beautiful works of art, in my opinion. And and I one of the things I, I hope, you know, when I when I do my videos on tin plate is that one of the most satisfying things that I one of the satisfying things that I see is when I do a video on tin plate on pre-war tin plate. And I'll get a message from a young person that says, wow, this is really cool. Um, that to me is like, is just the best because it's such a, you know, pre-war template is such a dying sector of the hobby, uh, you know, because it's just, you know, in this day and age, you know, it, a lot of people just don't get it or it's not relevant, you know, and, um, and to, to get younger people enthused about it is, is really fun. Now, the bad part is it's really expensive, so it's not an easy segment to get into. Uh, even the reproductions are, are expensive, not not as expensive as the real things, but they're still expensive. Uh, so there is a, a financial barrier to entry, but um, you know they're they're just fantastic, fa- fantastic works of art, and and uh, that's really what got got me into them. And and really, I mean the the final the final straw that broke the camel's back, I guess, guess you could say that got me into it. it was when I finally bought one for myself. And I think, I think the first tin plate that I got the tin plate locomotive that I got was the, the 381 brute uh, that MTH put out in the, in the late two thousands. And uh, it's a gigantic, huge locomotive. I didn't have anywhere to run it uh, runs on standard gauge track, which I didn't have any, well, I had about three feet of it and, uh, and it had proto sound too. And it was, it was just gorgeous. I mean, that's the, I keep on saying that, but just, that's just the one word I, I have for, for pre-war trains is this gorgeous stuff and the history of it. And, uh, um, the, the different manufacturers and, and, and the trends that went around and the, the, uh, the technology that they tried to implement at that point, you know, they, uh, was was just it's really fascinating it's it's a really you know if, if you're into history and you're into uh trains that look like works works of art uh, it's a really fun segment of the hobby to get into 
Yeah, that's really cool. You know, I, I'm big into like the history kind of thing. I mean, th- obviously the the O scale models themselves, of course, for the history part, but also for the model history. Uh, yeah, with the manufacturers. So yeah, ten plate. Yeah, is really, really cool. It's it's super cool. Uh, I was actually talking to someone last night um, about about uh, pre war trains, and I was talking about there's a guy up in uh, up in New England. I think he's in Massachusetts or somewhere. Uh, his name is Ron DeSantis. No, John John DeSantis. Sorry, John DeSantis. And he's he has got probably the definitive pre-war tin plate collection. I mean, it is. I think he has an an example of of one of everything that was ever made. I mean, he's got separate rooms for each manufacturer. So he's got a Lionel room, an Ives room, an American Flyer room, a Dorfan room, and then he's got. Boucher and, and, and all these other smaller manufacturers. And I mean, he has, he has prototypes, he has manufacturing tests. He has one of a kind models that were, you know, there's where there's only one in the entire world. And it is truly a, a remarkable collection. If you ever have a chance, uh, there's uh, TM books and video did a video on it. It's called tin plate, uh, what's it called? It's their tin plate uh, video series. I forget what it's called. It's called, uh, but it's it's volume three of wow. their tin plate series. And his, his collection is so you know usually when they do one of those 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 videos like volume one or volume two, uh, they'll feature four or five different collections in that one video. Well, in volume three, John DeSantis's collection is the entire video because it's wow. that big. It's huge. It's, 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 it's so impressive. Uh, one of these days, that's one of those on my wish list. I would like to get up there and see it in person. Wow. That, uh, honestly, you were telling me that story. That was giving me chills. That's uh, wow. That is something. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that collection has to be worth, I mean, it's gotta be worth millions because oh, yeah. I mean, it is so, uh, it is, I mean, it's so complete that he actually has people that will donate stuff to him because they say this needs to be in your collection and, and they'll donate to him because his collection is so, so comprehensive. So yeah, it's really simple. That's really cool. Wow. I got to check out that video. Definitely have to do that. Yeah. All right. Um, now, uh, swinging back to your collection, uh, your collection is, I'm trying to think of a word for this. Yeah, we'll we'll call it complete. I mean, that's the that's the word that comes to my mind right away. Um, you've got a ton of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, like, and I guess this kind of goes into the catalog thing, but we can talk about that a little later. Um, what kind of went into your uh, head when you were making? your collection, like the, the different railroads, the different prototypes, what kind of strikes you when you go to buy something? Um, when I, you know, boy, uh, well, there's, there's kind of two, two phases of that. You know, when, uh, when I first started off, you know, I was, I was trying to get anything. Well, actually when I first started off, oddly enough, it's hard to believe, but when I first got back into the hobby, uh, I did not do steam at all for, for many, for many years, I was only diesel. 
And the, and the reason was because I was, uh, I was modeling a, a more modern era way out. And, and I grew up seeing diesel around me. I never really saw much of steam when I was growing up. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll just do diesel because that's what I like. And, um, and I sort of avoided steam for quite a few years. Um, and then finally I broke down and I got a steam engine. And then the first modern steam engine that I got was the MTH Mohawk, the New York central Mohawk. And, and then I fell in love with it. And then it was, it was all, it was all, uh, that was all she wrote. And I, then I started getting steam like crazy. And, um, and so when I first started ordering, you know, I would, I would try to get, you know, um, you know, I'd say, oh, I, I, you know, it's basically like, oh, I don't have this model yet. I don't have this model yet. I don't have this model yet. Oh, I want to get this one, you know, and trying to fill out a collection, you know, and try to get as many locomotives represented as, as I can. And then, you know, and, but nowadays, you know, I've got, you know, the collection is of such a size that uh, really what, really what attracts me most of the time now, not all the time, but most of the time is something that is going to stand out, you know? And so that's why a lot of times I'll get something that's a different color or a different paint scheme than what the, what the prototype was, you know, like, like with the, um, well, with the S1, that's why I got the Tuscan because I was like, I, my, my thought process was, well, I could get the Brunswick green one, which is more realistic, but I want something that, you know, is going to stand out and that is going to look really special. And so that's why I decided to get the Tuscan. So, so my, my decision process nowadays is, 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 is based more on how it looks and how I, how I think it's going to look against my entire collection versus how prototypical it might be. Uh, so, you know, I, and I didn't, I didn't really, I, I started, I made that change a few years ago and it was, I have to, I have to credit, uh, I had a girlfriend a few years ago and, and, uh, she was actually, um, pretty supportive of the hobby. And, but she, she mentioned something one day, she came down, you know, I was showing her all my trains and she looked at all the steam locomotives and she said, I don't get it. She said, they all look the same to me. They're all black and they all look exactly the same to me. <laughs> you know, I, I thought she was crazy. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, this is a big boy and this is a, this is a 484 and this is a, this is a Hudson, you know, or, or whatnot all. And, you know, she was like, I don't know what that is. They all, they all look black to me. I can't tell one from another. And, uh, and I, and I, and I sort of thought about that and I thought, you know, that I guess she does have a point from her external point of view, not knowing any of the history of these locomotives. I guess they all do sort of look the same, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if, if I was to walk into a, a shoe store, you know, a woman's shoe store, I, I would probably say, well, they all look the same to me, you know, and, and they'd look at me like I was crazy. So I thought, okay, well, uh, maybe she's got a point there. And, and so then I started saying, well, maybe I, I should try to inject some personality and color into these locomotives so that they actually look exciting, you know, to, to people that may not be into them. And so, uh, that's why a lot of times I'll get the more colorful version just because uh, it's something that I know will it, it'll stick out amongst my collection and it'll also uh, stick out to viewers as well. Uh, and and a, a, a large part of that is, you know, every year, except last year, of course, because of COVID, you know, I have an open house 
And, you know, we have three, 300, 350 people come through every year. And there's, you know, a lot of the people that are coming through are, you know, they're bringing their kids who, who are into the trains, but, um, you know, there's a lot of parents coming through and so forth that don't know much about these things at all. However, you know, when they see something really colorful and, and, and pretty running on the track, they can appreciate that. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's kind of fun to do that, you know, so I'll, I'll run like the MTH blue goose is a, is a favorite, you know, or it's just, it's, and not only is it, and, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's a beautiful engine, but it's also just very attractive to anybody who's not in the hobby. They can look at it and say, wow, that, that looks really cool. So that's kind of what drives me in more recent years. I mean, I still gravitate towards the prototypical stuff to some degree, but I also try to get stuff that's going to stand out or that's going to be unique and different. Sweet. That's really cool. And like, I guess it's uh, kind of like a, yeah, I guess it's kind of like a car collector, you know, like uh, eventually, you know, if you, if you collect enough cars, you know, you start gravitating towards cars that are, that are different and and unique uh, rather than just, you know, uh, you know, a car that's, you know, that's, that's a little more average looking, I guess you could say. There you go. And, uh, I think on the blue goose and this kind of segues into my next question, which we kind of very touched on, but I'll hit it again. It's like the blue goose. That's prototypical. That's an actual scheme. Yeah. Granted it's scrap, but that was real. Yeah. At one point in time. So, um, Another question I got for you is, what do you think, uh, what's your opinion on like all these new fantasy schemes that Lionel's been doing? I mean, they're really cool. I was just curious to see what your uh, take is on that. Yeah, I think I, I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, I like it. I, I, I think it's really, I think it's a good thing. Um, I know a lot of people don't like it and that's okay, but I think, I think they're kind of, they're satisfying both sides of the hobby because there's, uh, you know, for instance, you know, I think we were talking about earlier, if you look at the the catalog, well, for instance, if you look at the the catalog with the uh, Acela in it, the 2021 volume one, uh, they did about 3000 different paint schemes. Um, they did, you know, the realistic Amtrak paint scheme, but then they did also did crazy stuff. Like, you know, they did a, a, a Christmas Acela, you know, and, a Milwaukee road to sell and all these different road names with different paint schemes. And uh, I think it's great. You know, why not? Um, you know, you, you can get the realistic one if you want, or if you want something different, get something different. And I think uh, for people like me, I mean, I know this doesn't apply to, to, you know, to most people, but for people like me, you know, if you've already got, you know, for instance, if I already had an Acela, uh, I might get a different road name. I, I might get the Milwaukee road to Sella or the new, the new Haven, you know? So um, I think it's really, I think it's great that they do that. And I, and because they do, you know, because Lionel is doing built to order now, I, I think they can do this more now because, the, because of the built to order, because if they don't get the orders for it, they won't make it. Um, they, they only make the models that they get orders for. So if you're going to, if you're going to operate on that, you know, that sort of method, why not offer as many paint schemes as, as possible to, to reel in as many orders as you can, you know? So, you know, they did all these different paint schemes for the Acela. Now they didn't get orders for all of them. So some of them got canceled, um, but some of them are getting made. And so I think it's, I think it's a smart thing on their part. You know, why, 
why limit yourself to just one paint scheme when you can, you know, if you're going to build them to order anyway, you know, go ahead and, and throw a bigger net out there and say, Hey, look at all these other paint schemes. And if you want one, let us know and we'll make it. Makes sense to me. You know, I think it's like you said, I think it's really cool to give people options, which is something yeah. we didn't have, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, these fantasy things that they weren't an option, you know? Yeah, and I, and I think a, a, a lot of that was because ten years ago, Lionel wasn't doing built to order. They would, you know, when they when they cataloged something, they would make it, and they would make a certain number of them, hoping they would sell. So with that, you know, when you're doing that sort of manufacturing method, you're you're sort of handcuffed. You have to say, well, we need to do one that we know is going to sell, and we know that if we do the prototypical paint scheme, it'll sell. Um, but we don't want to experiment with anything else because it might, you know, we don't want to end up with a thousand of these things sitting in our warehouse that aren't sold. But when you're, when you, when they changed to built to order, that gave them the freedom to just do whatever wild experimental paint schemes they want, because either people will order them or they won't. If they don't, you just don't make it. And if they do, you make it. And, uh, it's win-win for everybody. There you go. Very well said. Uh, so I got two more questions for you. The first one is a complete nudge at both Matt and I because we are subway guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm just curious on this. So I know on your layout you thought about doing a middle level with the subway line. What what happened to that? Oh, um, you know, subways are the one thing I don't have in my collection yet. Um, oddly enough, uh, I need to rectify that. Um, and I will as soon as uh, Lionel or somebody catalogs another subway. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I originally, when I built the layout, I had a lower level that I was going to put a subway in, but it ended up being, it ended up being just not practical to do it. Um, you know, I would have had to do a lot more infrastructure work to make it happen. And, and, and ultimately it just, it just came down to practicality. It just, it just wasn't practical. Now, uh, in the future, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have this layout forever. I will move eventually. And when I do that, when I do build another layout, I, I, I would like to have a subway line, but when I, when I do it, then, uh, I, I'll learn from the mistakes I made this time and I'll actually do it in a way that I can do it. That that's practical and, and, and workable to do it, you know, where it's also, you know, the, the other thing is that if I had put a subway line down there, you know, there, there's, there wouldn't be a lot of opportunities to view it. You know, I, I could put some plexiglass in some sections and you could be able to see it, you know, but by and large it would be hidden. And so, you know, when, when the time comes for me to build a new layout, I'll, I'll definitely learn from that and, and do a subway line that is both practical and more visible, you know, where people can see, uh, you know, see it more. Cause if I'm going to put all that work into it, I want people to actually be able to see it and me, I want to be able to see it too. So, um, so there's that, but yeah, it's kind of weird. I've never, uh, I still don't, I think I have one subway car, uh, an MTH subway car, but other than that, uh, it, and it's not powered or anything, but, uh, other than that, I don't really have any, any subway stuff. And, uh, you know, why I just haven't gotten around to it. Well, we might have to rectify that for you somewhere or another. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to rectify that at some point. <laughs> I mean, as soon as Lionel catalogs a nice subway set or, you know, if MTH comes out with one, 
uh, or Atlas or somebody, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely order it and it'll definitely be added to the collection. We'll have to see. Sweet. And actually I, I thought of another one that I wasn't going to ask. I should have asked it earlier. Uh, this kind of goes back to the whole tin plate thing. Uh, what's your opinion on this, the template? I know MTH lost the license with uh, Lionel. Uh, what's your kind of take on that? Um, it was unfortunate that they, that they lost the license. Um, but at the same time, you know, I mean, MTH is in such a state of, of transition right now that I don't think it's really, uh, pertinent right now. I mean, they've got a, they've got bigger fish to fry than worrying about their license with, for the template. Uh, it was great while they had it. I mean, I, it was fantastic to be able to get reproductions of Lionel template with the Lionel name, you know, cause prior to that, you know, MTH had the tooling, but they didn't have the name. So they would make the models, but it wouldn't say Lionel on it. It would say MTH tin plate traditions. Um, and when they got that license, it was just, wow. Okay. Now we can finally see how these things would have looked, you know, brand new out of the box in 1930. And, uh, you know, that's something that you, you really can't see when you buy a used one. I mean, the, the, when you buy the originals, they have their own charm. You know, they, they have, they've been, you know, they've been loved a lot and they have scratches and all that stuff, but you really can't see what it was like, you know, when it was brand new. And for me, that's one of the, my favorite things about the reproductions is that you can, you can open them up and you can see, you know, okay, this is what a kid saw on Christmas morning in 1930. This is how it looked, you know? And, and, uh, so yeah, it was unfortunate they lost that license, but you know, and who knows what's going to happen to the tin plate tooling. I mean, I, I don't think they're going to do anything with it right now. Um, so I, I hope it, I hope someone either MTH or someone else sort of picks up the torch and keeps making that tin plate stuff. Um, you know, if I had the resources, I would definitely think about uh, buying all that tooling and doing it myself. But uh, it's um uh, you know, I hope it's not lost. I hope someone uh, starts doing it again. And maybe if they start doing it again, we'll get lucky and they'll be able to strike a deal, a licensing deal with, with Lionel and we'll be able to get get that uh, the Lionel branded stuff again. Although to, it was always confusing reviewing that stuff because you'd say Lionel corporate template and you had to sort of explain to people, you know, this isn't Lionel, it's MTH, uh, but it's it's got the Lionel name. But uh, yeah. Cool. And then uh, uh, one final question. It's actually one that Matt did not ask, which I'm kind of surprised. So I'm going to ask it. Um, what's your take on the hobby for the next 10 years? Uh, what do you think is going to happen, change? Uh, what's your take on that? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that sort of goes into, you know, uh, a broader topic that we'll probably get into talking about catalogs and, and prices and where stuff's being made and all that. I mean, that's a, but, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to answer because I don't think that, you know, it's, you know, it's a niche, it's a niche section of the hobby. I mean, model trains is a niche hobby to begin with. And then O, o scale is a, a niche within a niche. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. It just depends on how many young people are able to get into it and keep the hobby going. Uh, what I'm hoping will happen is that, and I think, 
it might be starting to happen now is that, you know, with, with the advent of YouTube, I think YouTube was able, has, was, and has been able to get a lot of younger people into the O-Gage hobby. Um, the, the problem is that the, the initial problem with that is, you know, for instance, like if someone got into it back, you know, because of YouTube back in 2010 and when they were a kid, uh, the problem with that at that at that time was that, you know, they didn't have a lot of disposable income. They were a child. So, you know, they might get a starter set or, or two or, you know, but they're not going to really be able to spend a ton of money on it. Uh, the 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 benefits, I think, are going to come. And I think they're starting to come now where you're getting people who were raised on YouTube, who were raised watching all these videos, who grew up watching you know, my videos or, or someone else's videos. And now they're adults, they're getting jobs. And now they're getting to a point in their life where they're going to have a little bit of disposable income, hopefully. And, and now they might be able to start revisiting and saying, okay, now, you know, now I want to get, start getting some of these things I always wanted when I was a kid, you know, cause I think that's what we all do. You know, I, I think that's, you know, I think we all do that to some extent, you know, we were into it when we were kids, but we couldn't afford that much. And then when you get older and you have a job and, and, and you're able to spend a little bit of money on it, then you say, ah, oh, you know, I can get that, the, that engine that I always wanted when I was a kid, but I could never, you know, my parents could never afford and this and that. And so, um, so hopefully, you know, I guess to get back to the question, I guess hopefully in 10 years, you know, if, I would hope that the hobby would would be healthier than it is now, simply for the fact that you've got all these this YouTube generation that is now grown up and working for a living and has some disposable income to actually do the things they always wanted to do as a kid when they were watching those video those YouTube videos when they were a kid. Now they're grown up and they can say, "Yeah, now I can get this Acela or I can get this uh, SD70 that I always wanted and stuff like that." So. That's what I hope happens. We'll just have to see. That, that that's very well said. That's really cool. All right, Matt, you want to uh, take the reins over again, buddy? Hey, folks, Matt R here. Now, because this episode ended up going quite long, we split it into two parts. So, episode twenty-six here is part one. Episode twenty-seven will be part two. So, stay tuned. I will be posting that in a few days. And we go over the catalog and a few other surprises, so stay tuned. Hey.